Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. So, Michael, it's been a month. We've had Terrace Hill for the last 30 days, and um, we're doing great. I'm, I'm pretty excited. We'll be sending out our first monthly newsletter here today on Friday. Um, we will be sending out distributions in two more months. So we're pretty, pretty darn excited, but we're 95% occupied. I was there this week, and the property's doing fantastic. So, um, Michael... What's great about these these weekly updates is our investors can get an update on the property, but we also share financial metrics, um, what's going on in the country and, and world and how that affects our world of multifamily investing. So I know you have some prepared. Why don't you go ahead and, and get started? Linda Elmer, about a month ago, asked me a question. I was driving and I, and I wasn't prepared for it, but uh, I think you and I probably get this question asked a lot. How do you guys, when you guys go into any major metropolitan city, and when you and I have been a lot of looking for properties over the last years, how do you determine whether it's a good deal or not? How do you know whether it's a good city or not? How do you know whether it's a good government or not? And so what I've looked at, I've, I've always tried to create a little formula that we can use. And I think you, you and I use the same one. Um, I call it the sexy six. I don't know what else to call it, but um, or, or germ, J-I-R-H-H-M. And so the first thing we look for in, in a city are jobs. Are people coming there for jobs? Is there a migration of employment? And if they're not coming there for that necessarily, is there something there that is generating jobs that will keep people there for generations to come? A hospital, a university, um, things of that nature that are not going away. So that's the first thing we look at. Is there a strong, strong job base there that will either continue to grow exponentially or is just going to stay solid for, for generations to come? The second thing we look for is an increase of rents. People that 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 hang around Sam and I, uh, David, David Aristorenian um, probably saw this a lot when we first started hanging out a few years ago. When we would look at deals, the first thing I would ask uh, Sam is what's the bump? What's the bump? We would always use that phrase. What's the bump on this? And what that meant was, how much could we raise those rents going in? Um, what's the opportunity zone that others are missing? Where's that, that, that space that we can come in and, and raise something from $150 to $300 within a few years? Why is that important? Because we get that GOI up, we get that NOI up, and then we go back to the lender and say, we bought the property at 115,000 in rents per month. Now it's 140,000 in rents per month. We've, we've raised it by 30, $40,000. We want all, all or most of our money back. That's why that bump, that, that rent increase that we're looking for is so important that we're always looking for. The second, the third thing is high FICO scores. Sam, you want to talk about that when we go into a city, why that's important? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's it it's interesting that um, when people buy in the ghetto, they don't they they look at potential um, rent upside. They look at you know a few different things, but they don't realize that you know if someone doesn't have a good credit score, they're not going to care if you're going after their their credit or garnishing wages, and and they can just leave in the middle of the night, and they don't care. They don't care if they're paying their rent or not, and and that can make a managing a property very, very challenging. So like in Cleveland, our average credit score for our tenants is 730. You better believe that they're paying their rent. You know, that that's just, that's such a hard renter demographic to replicate. And, and across the board, we're, we're in C plus B minus assets. And those renters care about their credit and they pay their rent. And if they do struggle, they're, they're much easier to work with than the demographic who, you know, they, they come in with a, a very low credit score. They already have a lot of challenges, a lot of charge-offs, and it's going to be a lot of work and and pr- pretty much hopeless um, getting back rent that, that is owed from these people. They know how to work the system. So that's the difference in it. And it, for us, makes a huge difference on our profitability and um, the ability to uh, generate that, that income. And, and and receive that income that we're supposed to. Perfect. So the next level of that would be a high barrier of entry. Now, I'm not sure, most people don't talk about this, but when Sam and I go into a city, we are looking for what is called a high barrier of entry or what Warren Buffett calls a moat around our property. What does that mean? That means that there's not you know, acres and acres of land around us that could be easily converted into apartment buildings where we could have competition. Um, that means that the average price of a home in the neighborhood is not fifty to hundred thousand dollars. Where someone could say, "Wait a minute, do I pay Sam and Michael rent every month, or do I just go out and and, and buy a home?" It's, it's, it's I'd rather just buy a home. So when we go into an area, we want to make sure that's pretty much built out. That city for 30, 40, 50 years really wanted apartment buildings, but guess what? No more apartment buildings. Never going to happen again in that particular city or that area that we're in. And not only that, but the average home in the area is $300,000 to $600,000, somewhere in that range. Our tenants, God bless them, they're great people. They are digging ditches. They are waiters. They are professors. They're doing all these things. They are never going to have a down payment for a house. They'll always have our $1,000 a month. They're never going to have that down payment. And that's the, that's, those are our peeps. Those are our tenants. And we're, we're lucky to have them. The next thing is R for red states or landlord-friendly states. Um, you know, I don't care whether you're on the left, middle, or right in the political spectrum. I don't care what you are. I'm more of a libertarian than anything else, a conservative libertarian. But I don't care if you're, you know, what your what your politics are. The fact of the matter is, is that the most landlord-friendly states are the red states, and that's what we look for. Um, there's a deal that I passed up last year that I'm still kicking myself over, but you know, it is what it is. And that was the Albuquerque deal, the 30 units where Sam goes in and he says, Mike, we got this great deal. And uh, you know, they're buying it for, what did you buy for 30,000 a door? Yep. Yeah. And now it's worth what? 90 a door? 78. 78 a door, whatever. Still, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, it's a lot more and it's going to be great too. You'll probably get all your money back this year or next, or next year. Correct. Next October, we'll get more than what we put into it. Yeah. Why didn't I want to be in in Albuquerque? Because Albuquerque, New Mexico is kind of turning its purplish. 
and maybe turning even more blue. And coming from California, I've been so scarred by the California political system and real estate. I, I said, you know what? I'm, I, I don't want to do that. Was it a mistake? Probably, but it doesn't matter. I put more, more money in these other deals. Uh, but but that's that's you know that's kind of a gray line. But anyway, we're looking for places. You want to talk about Alamore Sam about red states? Yeah, you know, the only reason we did Albuquerque is because it was such an insane, insanely low price deal. There was so much upside, and, and you still didn't feel good about being in a bluish state or, or city, which was fine. I think that's always the best decision. Um, but we knew um, what we could do with the property, so we still bought it. But you know, if the margins, if if we're talking about one of these normal deals, these fifteen to eighteen percent IRR deals, where there's you know hundred to two hundred dollars in upside, no, we're not going to buy in a blue state or or blue city ever, because the if it's a normal great deal that that we buy, we cannot afford to have people live there for six, nine, 12 months, 18 months and not pay rent. And then we go to the eviction judge. We say, hey, we want to evict this person. Here's here's the contract. They're not paying. And and he and this is exactly what happens in California. And, and the judge will say, but why do you want to evict them? Right. Well, they haven't paid rent for 12 months. Right. And the judge will say, yeah, but but why do you want to evict them? Yeah. Well, we have this contract that they signed <laughs> saying that they would pay rent if we provided them housing. Yeah. And they haven't paid rent. And the judge will say, well, you have to have a reason to evict them. Right. So so that's the insanity that we want to stay away from that would massively hurt our NOI. And so we would never buy one of these larger projects um, in a place where we feel like we can't do that. Now, Albuquerque is pretty good about evictions and um, and we're, we're doing fantastic. But, um, yeah, that's something that you and I just don't want to mess with. Yeah. Then the last one is M for migration. The bottom line is, are people coming in or out of that city? Are people migrating towards El Paso because of the university, because of the hospital for jobs, or are they not for the great housing and everything else that's going on? Um, so that, that's the last one. That's the bottom line. We look at migration patterns. So here's the thing. When you have this picture, and you can look at it pretty quickly, that's when you know if it's a good deal and all these other boxes are checked, that's when Sam and I can move very quickly. We don't have to be like a committee like our, some of our competitors where we, we'll get back in a week or two after we go through a bunch of chart, charts and whirly girls. We already know what we're looking at. We already know what we want. If the numbers work and all these other boxes are checked, we're ready to deploy whatever we need to deploy to make that deal. And uh, this is what gives us an edge. So I just wanted to talk about that. And any questions about anything we've talked about so far? So do you guys, Mike, like the areas around universities? I mean, is, I know you talked about your best tenant around 700 credit score. So is that excluding, uh, you know, kids going to university? You know, we typically don't do student housing. It's a different animal. Um, if, if you talk to these experienced large operators, you really have to understand and do be dedicated to student housing to do well. It's a different animal for sure. Now we do have, <laughs> it's funny you asked that, the, the property with a 730 average credit score is student housing, but it's grad school. It's uh, people that are going to med school near the Cleveland Clinic. That's actually our highest credit score property is, is the one that's one and a half miles from the Cleveland Clinic, number two hospital in the world. So we have a mix of nurses, uh, hospital employees, few doctors and surgeons, and then a bunch of medical students and dental students. Um, but if it's undergrad, yeah, I just 
comes with a lot of issues that uh, we honestly don't have the experience nor desire to deal with. And uh, maybe someday we'll jump into student housing. You can do very well with it. Um, I'm getting ready to build some units. Um, Michael, you and I talked about that deal here in Utah. That'll be student housing for undergrad. Um, But it's kind of like my Albuquerque deal where because I don't have the experience with student housing, it would have to be an absolute home run, no brainer deal for me to do that. Um, And I just, I have to be honest with myself. I'm not a specialist in student housing. So I want to be very careful there. Grad school for us has been very different. Um, It's been our best performing asset so far. Um, uh, But big difference between medical medical school, grad school and uh, undergrad. So David, uh, Warren Buffett talks about something constantly called the circle of competence. If it's not in our circle of competence, because people ask us, why aren't you buying shopping centers? Why aren't you buying office buildings? If it's not in our circle of competence, um, we're not going to go after it. Well, I'm going to go over the properties really quick. Um, Michael, we talked about Albuquerque. It's doing fantastic. Rent is going up. We're finishing an, an, the next wave of, of remodels here pretty soon. So cash flow, cash flow for those investors will be going up um, here probably in about a month and a half. It's going to be fantastic, better than we projected. So that's always fun. Um, Florida, Tampa, for those of you that are in our, um, Bradenton is actually a, a submarket of Tampa. Fantastic project as well. Small little, little property. Uh, rents are doing great. We are in the middle of a number of renovations. All of our properties, though, have had some supply chain issues. If you guys have seen that on the news, heard endless um, stories and, and, and uh, issues with supply chain, we are experiencing that as well across the country. Um, Florida has been hit pretty hard for us um, trying to get some of the electrical things we need, but rents are doing great. And we've been able to get out, get some of the bad, bad apples out. And, and that's going great. Cincinnati, Cleveland, um, all of our properties in Cleveland doing fantastic. Um, everything's just, we're, we're moving along nicely. Contractors are in there remodeling units and, um, so let's see for Fairmount one and and three, um, cash flow has been going out for Fairmount four, the one we just closed on. Remember that we said cash flow wouldn't happen for about six months as we do these large vacancies and and move a lot of people out. So that'll start here in about April. And uh, Dallas, Michael, uh, I was with Francia in El Paso on Tuesday, and she first one of the first things she said she couldn't wait to see me. She goes. Sam, we're, we're basically 100% occupied in Dallas. <laughs> she, she's our regional, by the way. For those of you who don't know, she's with Velo. She's a regional over Dallas, and she's meeting me in El Paso to look at a property. And, and she was just so excited to say, hey, we've cleaned this place up. So we just recently switched to Velo from, from Wayner Property Management, and um, we're really excited about that. Cash flow is going up. Michael's uh, cash flow, your guys's cash flow, it's all going up. We're really excited about that. Um, El Paso, we are in the middle of switching property managers. Um, one of the biggest headaches and our biggest job and most important job, Michael's and I, after acquisition is managing the property manager. And our property manager said, hey, I think I'm doing a fantastic job. I did a surprise visit on Tuesday to that property and the photos and what I found says the opposite. Yes, he's we're occupied. Yes, we have. I think we only have five vacancies right now, um, or five percent vacancy right now. Um, but we found a few things, Michael, that was interesting. That um, 
just it's it's not not meeting our standards you know um right. pools were green which there's no excuse for that the pool ledger was filled out so someone says they've been cleaning the pool but it hasn't been cleaning little things like that there's a few lights that were out um there's a rain gutter on the ground that hadn't been fixed there's a light pole knocked over that hadn't been fixed and, and so we're paying these people money and, and we're relying on this company to take good care of our 11 million dollar apartment complex that we bought yeah. and they're not and so we'll be making a switch there um because yeah, i want to say something about that real quick you mind yeah guys and gals it's not just about cash flow uh it's about when we buy a property we expect it to cash flow well we expect to be able to raise the rents we expect to have high occupancy we also have great expectations of our managers and our people on the ground to take care of the basic stuff and execute every day on what our plan is and what we want them to do. And if they're not, we find out what the problem is, we either get rid of that person, or in this case, we're gonna get rid of that company, which is unfortunate because we had high hopes and we know this company can do great things, but uh, if it's not a priority for them, it's not a priority and we can't make it be. So you can't make somebody love you and you can't, uh, you can't make a property manager do what you want to do if they don't want to do it. So that's the bottom line. If, if they're not producing, not getting what we need, we get rid of them. That's it. Absolutely. And, and Michael, the, um, the crazy thing is, is we secret shop these property managers. So I sent someone in. I rolled up on Tuesday. Uh, Betty Joe's our new regional for, for El Paso for quality control. So she uh, walked into the, the office and pretended that she was like she was a renter. She walked in and they didn't have anything to give to a potential renter that said, what is the rent? What floor plans do you have? And what's available? They right. have nothing. And, and our property manager's answer was, well, I ran out. And, and Betty Jo said, well, what do you have to give me? And she said, well, you know, I can write a couple of things down for you. And, and Betty said, well, I want to go look at a unit. She said, well, we don't have any really ready to view which is mind blowing. If we have 5% vacancy, how the, how the hell are we <laughs> renting units? You know, what, what, what is there to show? And, and so just so frustrating that the basics that are not getting done miraculously, because we've done very good upgrades, you and I have, have worked hard to make sure these units get turned and upgrades are done very nicely. We're getting the rents we want and, and 5% vacancy is well within where we want to be. Um, it could be better though. Yeah, again, it's, it's and, and Sam, you know this better than anybody. It, it's not just about occupancy. It's, it's how, you know, we have a plan over the next one, two, three years to transform a property and uh, not, and to have the cash flow also be consistent with that property going from how it used to look to how it's going to look, which will be completely different six months or a year from now. And uh, that starts and ends with management. So, yeah. Anyway. And alternatively, we, we drove over to Ter Terrace Hill. I sent her in and, um, and George is one of our, our leasing agents there in Terrace Hill, just knocked it out of the park. I mean, that guy and, and um, Laura and the other people there are just fantastic. They're just crushing it. And so, you know, Betty Jo saw a huge, a stark difference between property managers and how a, a potential tenant should be treated. Um, and so that was really good for us. And then on those two properties, you know, they're, they're a little bit tired uh, on the outside. The curb appeal is lacking. And so that is the next phase of, of remodeling and repairs for us. We're going to work really hard on the curb appeal 
at those two properties, among other projects we have going on. Um, we noticed when I, I secret shopped the competition. So I went and toured five or six other properties that are closest competition there in El Paso because I hadn't done it in a year. You know, um, I did it last year before we bought the properties and and I, I hadn't done it in a while. So I noticed that our upgrades are some of the nicest in the area, but our exterior is falling behind the other properties. And we knew that when we bought these, that's why we got a deal on these properties because they're they're not the best looking on the outside they need some uh, beautification. They they need some money spent on them. So that's what we're doing next. And um, we're excited about how these properties are going to look when we get done with them. Hey, Sam, um, what's it looking like this year for like the cost tags, um, the tax paperwork that we're going to get? I think it's important not to push that if there's a way to do that. Yes. Yeah. Last year was tough because we bought properties on December 30th, 31st. Um and the cost of company we went, we went with wasn't the best. So actually, funny you asked that. Today at Terrace Hill, the the um, cost seg is happening and in Cleveland. Okay. So those are happening today. They're getting in the units. What they tell us is four to six weeks to get that report back. So, you know, first of the year, we'll get those reports back and then hopefully be able to have our CPA get those done in the next 30 days and get those K-1s out. Okay. Oh, so my only other question is, I think last year we got a portion of it maybe, and then this year was going to fill in the other portion of the rest of the properties. We go into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the way the deductions work is if we're going to average about 50% of what you invest back to you through tax write-offs, through those passive losses, the first year we typically, typically get 35 depending on the cost seg study to 50%. And then the next year, anywhere from 10, five to 15% of what you invested back to you as a passive loss. It really varies depending on that cost seg, but you get the largest portion of passive losses the first year, and then another five to 15% um, the next year. So those that invested last year will get some remaining uh, passive losses from those properties we bought last year on their K-1 for 2021. And then if you've invested more this year, you'll also get some great tax write-offs in the 40 to 50% range um, for the properties that we bought this year. Okay, are you, um, is anyone, I think you told me somebody was maybe gonna loop back and just audit those from last year as well because there was money on the table? Yeah, so our CPA, Michael CPA already did that. So he actually, looked and he found, Michael, do you remember how much more um, Steve found in that those initial cost eggs we did? He found like a couple million in value for each property. Um, so we did have that done because yeah, the cost egg company wasn't nearly as aggressive or accurate as we wanted them to be. We're going with a different cost egg company and engineering firm on these ones that we're doing. Yeah. Um, Valerie, so when when the last cost egg company did their, their, their thing last year, um, I had my CPA take a look at it. He was able to squeeze out, I believe, um, a couple million dollars more than what they found legally, of course. But um, that's 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 why I pay my CPA to, to do that kind of thing. Uh, this next round of uh, people that we were interviewing, I actually had my CPA interview all of them. And uh, he actually chose this company to do it. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty confident we shouldn't have the problems we had last year. 
yeah, Steve knows his stuff and and um from from time, you know, the timetable is turnaround, how fast it's going to happen. That should happen much faster as well as accurate, more aggressive numbers. So what we're trying to do is push those numbers and be aggressive as possible without getting in the gray area. Um, yeah, we, 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 sorry, Sam, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You want to, you want to push, you want to be aggressive. You don't want to leave yourself open um, or vulnerable to the, to the IRS. So, right. you know, we want to be aggressive, but you don't want to be stupid. So there's a, there's a fine line there. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate you. Hal, thanks for your comment. Hal said, uh, Sam and Michael, you're great role models on how to manage a property and run a business. Thank you. Thank you, Hal. We appreciate your investments. And one last thing, Michael, last month we sent out $79,800 in uh, cash flow distributions to our investors. So we're looking to uh, keep increasing that, but that's a fun number to send out every month. And um, as these units start getting turned over as our remodels start finished, we're going to, we're going to be jumping way above that number as we increase the rents and, and keep, keep on with this uh, CapEx project that we're doing on each property and, and increasing the rent. So I'm pretty excited. Beautiful. Have a good weekend. Thanks so much.